It's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. There'll be a barbecue right after the service. (laughs) What do you do with that? So last week, Nick um, got to talk about sex, and I get to talk about meat, sacrificed idols. I think people know what you talked about (laughs) more than... Yeah, so uh, we'll go there. Before we do, I want we're we're really going to talk about love. That's really behind what Paul is saying here. And uh, uh, one way to do that, we have, and part of Nick leaving at the end of uh, end of August, he'll be leaving after 11 years here as youth pastor. Uh, But Tatiana, who is um, she's not here right now. She was here at the earlier service, but she's a short Russian woman, Tatiana, and she's been living with Nick and Allison and their family. And she's going to be in need of a place. And uh, we're, we're trying to get that, the word on that out. Uh, wonderful person. She's great with kids. She could help out with uh, elder care. But um, if you know of anything, uh, hear of anything, um, at least pray over that, would you please? That would be a great thing. All right. Also, we have, I think it's like 45 people today who are camp at the, our family camp. And so... Um, you guys are good to be here. I hope you don't wish you were there, but I'm sure they're having a good time. Uh, Richard Mao is, uh, he was the, uh, he was the, when I was there uh, at Fuller Seminary, he was the president of Fuller Seminary, and he had this, this great line that I think is encouraging, but maybe it's kind of backwards encouragement. But he, when people would come to him and they would complain about the church today, you know, if the church is too this or not enough that, he would, he would look at them and he would shake his head and he would nod with them and he says, yes, yes, yes. It's almost as bad as the church in the first century. <laughs> and somehow that brings hope uh, that we're, we're not in, you know, we've never been perfect. 
And every day in my inbox, there are emails and um, or advertisements for ways to make the church better. And usually it has to do with best practices and knowledge. And that's not, I believe, what we're going to hear today. That's not where Paul goes. He has a, a priority of love above knowledge that's very fundamental to who he is and it's something that i want to uh, try to bring before you here this morning so here's the two greek words that he uses and i'm not getting a response here on this there we go gnosis is the greek word for knowledge uh agnostic is the word we we get from that meaning uh uh, no, no, uh, not sure, not not knowledgeable about. Um, but gnosis, he says, it puffs you up, and that's a way of saying uh, it's a word picture. Uh, it makes you proud. When you have knowledge, you become proud. Now, usually we don't play off knowledge and love, which is what he's going to do here. We play off what knowledge and ignorance and love and hate or something like that. But he plays off these two words. Knowledge tends to puff up, and agape, which is the word for love in the Greek, it tends to build up others. So here's, here's an easy phrase that he uses. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up other people. And one is very, the way he's, not all knowledge is, is obviously bad. It's good. I'd, I'd much rather be informed than ignorant, right? That's good. But uh, the way it's being used in Corinth, knowledge is being used to uh, build the self up and uh, instead of loving others, building others up. So, uh, here's where Paul goes. This is, this is kind of like the crescendo of this whole thing. But if you've been uh, to a wedding, or maybe this was in your wedding, it's usually read at weddings, if I can say it that way. If I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, I, but I have not love, what do I have? I have nothing. And that's Paul's way of saying that love is greater than whatever, including knowledge. So, just an application. Uh, when I was uh, back in Olympia in the early 90s, I was helping to plant a church, and I was a, um, a lay pastor, and there was a full-time pastor, and uh, we were both named Mark, which is interesting, but uh, we were very different, very different people. And I could tell just by body language and all the rest that I, I needed to, um, to build him up because he felt threatened by me. Can you believe that? Somebody feeling threatened by me. Don't, don't, don't answer. But um, he did. And so in the process of me trying to figure what that, out what that meant, we had a woman come, and she was a, a covenant, uh, an older woman who was part of our denomination from California. And she was, believe it or not, she was like 85. She had a name like Mabel Peterson or something, you know, one of those you know, old uh, covenant names. And, but she was actually going around that day with a few others, and they were praying over churches that were starting up. Just that's what she did. She was a prayer warrior, and she put her hands. She oh, she said she had a word from the Lord, and um, where I come from, I always say, okay, I'll, I'll listen and you know, grain of salt because I want to make sure it's from the Lord. But I don't just you know receive everything. But it, this was this really was from the Lord. I still remember what she said. She said as she put her hands on our shoulders, she said, "You have to. You're going to. You're going to have to learn how to give up the right to be right." Oh, the right to be right. That has huge application, I think, particularly in marriages. Uh, not in mine, but no. Um, <laughs> no, it really does, because when I look at where the conflict is in, in our marriage, it's usually about one of us trying to prove the other one wrong. 
And at some point you just have to get and say love is more important than knowledge. Amen. You got that? It's, it's really, it really goes a long ways. All right, so as we get into this passage this morning, the Corinthians were, they had some special knowledge. We're going to look at what that knowledge was. It was good knowledge, really, but they were taking it and applying it in a bad way. And they were using their knowledge to uh, express freedom, which had to do with the rights that they had. They felt like they had rights to do that. But in so doing, it, Paul says in verse 10, they were destroying others and they were wounding others, verse 11. So that qualifies as hurt, destroying and wounding. And in a church, so that's, that's our series, Hurt by Church. There were people there in Corinth being hurt by the expression of freedom on the part of some. Now, at the end of this message, I'm going to ask J.D. Uh, and, and Chad to come up, and they'll lead us in a reflection time because uh, these are things that are not just 2,000 years ago, but we want to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and do his work in us today. And uh, he'll, he'll lead us in that. So our passage will be uh, what was read, and we'll focus in on these verses. And I'll leave that up there for you just so you have a sense of of we're going somewhere, all right? And we're going to start with, I'll read verse 4. And um, apparently they had written an earlier letter to Paul uh, that was responding to an earlier letter he wrote. There, there were, we have two letters from the Corinthians, from Paul to the Corinthians. And you can tell there were others, other letters that had preceded this. And one of those letters, Paul had apparently told them, by no means, absolutely don't, eat meat sacrificed to idols in the pagan temples, off limits. And apparently they pushed back on that. And therefore we have this dialogue here. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know, and Paul is agreeing with them, they know, Paul knows, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, so-called, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he has those in quotes here, yet for us there is but one God, and he goes on, and we'll get into that a bit. But the point I want to start out with here is that what Paul is saying is that in reality, in objective reality, there is no such thing as an idol as an entity in and of itself. They, they don't really exist in reality. We know that. And that, by the way, that's true. We're going to qualify that here in just a sec. But remember, the pagan world tended to worship idols. And by the time that the New Testament came around, it was a little more sophisticated in the Greek and Roman world. And these, uh, there were temples to the, the Greek and the Roman gods. So you'd have names like Zeus and Apollo and Athena and Poseidon and on and on and on. Mercury was the Roman. Mars. So you, you have all these, you have temples to these gods. And, uh, but what Paul is saying, those aren't, those aren't gods. Those are, those are nothings. They don't exist. There's nothing there. However, and this is the part that's a little tricky, so try to follow me here. Even though they're not real, they still have power. And uh, there's two sources of that power. 
And I'll try to make this as clear as I can. The first source is the people who give them power. So what you give power to has power. And I want to cover the examples here because this functions in your life and in my life. Everything from an addiction to a habit has power in your life. And you can find hints of idolatry in between an addiction and a habit. Do you want me to prove it? <laughs> uh, just look uh, at what you do. But it's, it's really true that there are patterns in your life, things that you do subconsciously, that I do subconsciously, that we do habitually. And some of those are very, very small. But they, they seem to have power uh, over us. And it can include um, any number of small things that... Uh, I mean, well, think about how you use your handheld device. Do you know what I'm talking about here? By the way, how'd you do this week? Nobody break the law? We'll confess that later. How's that? But, you know, that was the law as of July 23rd. You can no longer have one of those in your hand while you're driving. And I think that's a good law. But that's, that's not in the Bible or anything, but I think that's a good law. So we have that kind of stuff because you'll see people sitting around in groups. Isn't this crazy? People, people sitting around in a social setting, groups, nobody talking, but everybody looking down. <laughs> what is that all about? It's a habit. And we encourage each other in that habit. That's a, a little thing. Or if you think about what an addiction is, it's a power. Think of this little white substance that motivates people to steal and to kill. That's powerful. Now, there's nothing in that white substance. It's not a living entity. It's dead. But we just enter into this relationship with it, and it becomes powerful over us. So there's the addiction stuff. So more on the, uh, on the habit side. This, is, this might help. When I was... Um, well, I, I realized this... Uh, one of these things when I, my parents I left college, or during the college years I moved out and I never came back to my parents house which is kind of a novel concept these days but you know what I'm saying I mean I actually moved out and um, yeah it used to happen and um, then uh, I noticed though when we would go back to visit we would might go there for dinner or whatever and I, I didn't realize it right away, but over time, and this, my parents lived in that house for roughly 20 years after my college, that I would always go in the front door. And this is kind of like my house, you know? I mean, I'm going in the front door, and I would say hi to mom and dad real quick, and then I would go open the refrigerator every time. Now, why did I do that? I don't, it was the smell. It's what, it was that home. It was the feel of that place, and it's what I had always done when I was in high school. You know, just checking out and make sure that light worked in there, in the refrigerator, right? It still worked. But I would grab something in. And it was just what I did when I came home from school every day. And I, I didn't realize, my mom finally pointed it out to me. She says, you always come and give me a kiss, and you go, just like in high school. Okay, all right. It's powerful what we do, these habits that we have. Now, we, we give that power. The refrigerator is not an idol. Uh, there's nothing there. Well, there, you know, but it pulls. It, it has a gravitational pull on my life. Whatever it is in your world, I'm sure you have something like that. Now, the other source of power, so we, we give this power to a thing that's not real, 
But we also know that the Bible tells us that a thing, and in the Old Testament it was wood and stone carvings or sculptures of things that people would worship, and that was an idol, but that there's no reality there. However, the demons come into these realities. This is, this is just solid biblical truth. <laughs> and we don't fully understand that. We can't fully see it. But they will take something that's not real, that's hollowed out, and they will come into it. And then they become part of that, that whole thing we just talked about. And their goal is to bring you down. Okay? So those are the two powers at work. They're not, the idols are not real, but their power is real over us. And we're gonna, the reason I bring that up now is because we're going to have to explain that further. The other thing I'll say about idols before we move on from them is that, and this is especially true of addictions, but the, um, in the short term, they promise you pain relief or to make you feel better. But in the long term, they give you less and they ask of you more. And therefore, you have to increase the dose. And you become enslaved by these things that aren't real, but they have real power. Okay? So that's idols. Now, Paul contrasts that. What we only have, we have the one true God. And the one true God is objectively real. In other words, he's not a, a, uh, we're not making him up. And he would exist whether we believe in him or not. He is. And his existence depends nothing, uh, does not depend on my acknowledging his existence. Uh, I don't have to give him anything. He functions without me. So that's Paul's point there. That, and all of life came through him, and all of life is found in him. And it's just a whole different picture of God and idols. So there's the, there's the framework that he lays out, and now we're going to see how this thing is being abused. And so Paul is, is agreeing with them, basically, uh, so far. However, in verse 7, the, word, the first word is but. But not everyone knows this. And what Paul is talking about here are people in the church who have become followers of Christ. Here's, here's how we could say it. They know this is true, what, this knowledge that, about God being real and, and the idols being not real. They know it's true up here. If they were to answer a multiple choice test, they would get it right. But you can know something up here and not know it down here. And that's, that's really the issue here that Paul is, is going to make. Uh, they know it, uh, but they have... Here's, here's how he says it in verse 7. Some people are still so accustomed. They've been you know, walking to the refrigerator for so many years. They've been so, they become so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Okay, um, there were no restaurants in first century Corinth in the ancient world, so get that straight. So you want to celebrate a meal, where do you go? Let's say it's your birthday, uh, or your anniversary, or graduation, whatever, a milestone in your life, where are you going to go? You have two choices. You can do it at home. Well, everybody, you know, that's, that's okay, but that's not special. So what are you going to do? You're going to do it at the temple. You're going to go to the temple, and that's what, that, was culturally, that was culturally normal to do that. 
And they had special rooms in these temples. We have this outside of, we have it in the Old Testament in that the temple in Jerusalem had these special rooms for that. But we also know that from history outside the Bible that there were other temples to these gods and they had rooms there where you, that was part of the deal. You could go and celebrate there. And when you did, you were doing it in the name of that god. And it was actually to eat in a temple is a form, not for us, it's, I know it sounds different, but for them it would be a form of worship. If you were to eat in the temple of whatever god it was, it's a form of worship. That would just be their normal understanding of the situation. And so you have these people who are, are not, they, they believe up here that there's nothing really there, so I'm okay doing it. That's the freedom I have. But when they actually do it, something else happens to them because down here they don't, they just don't know it yet. So here's, here's my example uh, from my life. Uh, I became a Christian in 1977, and then uh, I went underground in terms of cultural, uh, how do I say this, Col- just understanding what was going on in culture for about the next uh, five to eight years. So if you ask me a trivial pursuit question from the years 77 to 85, I'm going to lose. But try me somewhere else. I'm puffed up, right? Yeah, knowledge. But I, I really am kind of a, a blank on those years because all here's I know it sounds crazy, but I read my Bible and I listened to Christian music. I mean, that's all I did. It's not like so. Um, this is from the year 1979. This is a I got this off the website yesterday. But best of 79 albums, and you'll see Pink Floyd. And the one up on top is ACDC. You know, I've, I, I, Pink Floyd I knew about because I had, uh, you know, uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Some of you guys, damn, there knows what I'm talking about. But, uh, uh, yeah, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Come on. Some of this, it brings back memory. I know if you were born after this, you're probably wondering what's going on here. But um, when I heard Pink Floyd... I never got into ACDC. I don't even know what their music sounds like because that was in those years, but Pink Floyd preceded that. But when I hear Pink Floyd, after I'd come to Christian, it, it just took me back to things that weren't good for me, where I would be using substances of various kinds in my college years, or I would be doing things that I shouldn't be doing that weren't honoring to Christ. It took me back. The feeling when I listened to that kind of music, I didn't need to hear that kind of music anymore. It really... Did, it wasn't good for my soul. You know what I'm saying here? It affected me. That's what we're talking about. I'm trying to make the point. What does it mean when Paul says they are still accustomed to going to the temple and associating it with the worship of those false gods that aren't really gods, but they have power over them? So another example, when I was in Alaska, uh, Air Force pilots, I hung out with Air Force pilots a lot. I love, these guys were great. But I noticed something about their culture. On the one hand, the Air Force encouraged people to be family, uh, you know, character, family, all that kind of stuff. On the other hand, if you didn't hang out with your squadron at 4 o'clock at the officer's club on Friday afternoon where there was a lot of uh, drinking going on, then you weren't really part of the club. It's a mixed message. Honestly, folks, that's, I, think it, I think it's changed a bit. But that's, this is what I got from these guys. And so they would struggle with this big time. And... They would, they would test the waters, and some would go, and some wouldn't go. And, and, and remember, the, talking to this guy, I said, well, it's just beer, isn't it? And he said, no, no, it's, it's not just beer. It's the talk. It's, 
It's you talk about women in degrading ways. You relive really stupid boyish things that you thought you had given up in junior high. I mean, this is really dumb, stupid, awful stuff that happens at 4 o'clock. And you get all, you know, loosened up and you do stuff you regret later doing. What is it to have a weak conscience? It's, I mean, it's, it's something like that. You, you can't go there without being tainted by it. And so the, when the, that person would drive home, maybe, and hopefully they haven't had too much, that, this is really sad that, that there have been a number of deaths that have happened on the way home from those events. But if you make it home, and on the way home, you're, you're thinking to yourself, why did I do that? Why did I go there? Your conscience is truly troubling you. You're free in Christ to do anything, Paul says. He says, you know, in verse 8 here, he's going to say, you can eat meat or not eat meat. God is indifferent to meat. <laughs> Doesn't matter to God. You have, no, you have no advantage whether you eat meat or not. It's not about meat. It's not about beer. It's about what brings you down. And this is the, the thing that's going on here. And here's the, here's the thing. I just, I've used this more and more as I've gotten older. But the devil loves to sell you ice cream. And then he makes you feel bad when you eat it. <laughs> it just is the truth. And that is called temptation, giving into temptation, and, and that thing in your stomach afterwards. So that's what Paul is saying. Okay. Verse 8, he says, meet doesn't matter. We could say beer doesn't matter or music doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that it's not about the thing. It's about the place you do it. In fact, in chapter 10 of the same letter, Paul says, hey, if you guys want to go to the market and buy this meat that's been sacrificed to idols and take it home and put it on the barbecue, go ahead. You're free to do that. Don't eat meat sacrificed in the pagan temples. Don't go there and eat. That's off limits. And he's actually saying it's off limits not only to the people who have weak conscience, but it is to them as well. Because of the whole, you have to read in, in the, uh, chapter 10, but it has to do with the way that Satan gets into these things. So, all right, how do we uh, bring all this to uh, a call to love? Let me read to you from 9 through 13. And uh, we'll close with this. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom that is, this knowledge that you have and then this freedom that comes, be careful it does not become a stumbling block to, those, to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in the idol's temple, won't he or she be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? And then, this is the bad part, so this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge when you sin against your brother in this way, and you wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. That's pretty strong language. Therefore, Paul says, if whatever I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. So that's the, the love principle. It's more important that I exercise love than it is freedom. All right, I want to get, I'm just going to wrap this up and we'll have our uh, response here in a sec. But knowledge, remember this is how it goes. Knowledge equals pride or gets us proud. And then we have this freedom, the right to do what I want. And Paul argues that our, our love brings a humility. And the freedom 
is that in setting aside my rights to serve in favor of serving others. So where did Paul get this from? Paul, obviously, I say obviously because of everything that we know about him, he got this from Jesus Christ. This is Christ. That, now think about Christ as the eternal Son of God. It's one of the ways that we can think about It's before he became Jesus of Nazareth, before he became human being. He existed in eternity with God the Father always, and in that place, how much knowledge did he have? How much knowledge did he have? I mean, is there anything that, I mean, he's God. This is how we talk about it. And how did he use that knowledge? And how much freedom did he have? He could do whatever he wanted. And how did he use his freedom? He chose to come into this world, not just to come into this world, but to go to the lowest form, to become a servant. Not just a servant, but to actually go to the cross and die. And he's very explicit in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I lay my life down of my own free will. I mean, he's, it's his choice. That's how he used his freedom, to lay his life down for the sake of others. So what I want to do right now is invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Uh, we started out this morning by saying God is present. We want to be present to him. Allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to reflect upon this time. Would you guys lead us in that? <clears throat>